Angelus Domini, nuncia vit Grazia plena Dominus Tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Liturgical Looking Glass, a program that looks at the Church's liturgy for the week ahead with me, Tim Hutchinson. And with me, Nick Swarbrick. And today on the Liturgical Looking Glass, we'll be thinking about the music for this Sunday, where the Feast of the Transfiguration takes precedence over ordinary time. And we'll be looking at some examples of the Our Father, which I often view as the culmination of morning and evening prayer. Tim, do you have a prayer you want to share with us? I do indeed. Let's pray. Lord God, you hold out the light of your word to those who do not know you. Strengthen in our hearts the faith you have given us, so that no trials may quench the fire your Spirit has kindled within us. We make our prayer through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So um, I actually had uh, forgotten about the prayer until the last minute, and um, then knew that I needed to do it. Uh, it was last night that I was thinking about it. And then this morning I was reading uh, morning prayers, reading Lords, and yeah. came across this wonderful prayer, um, which you said that had had uh, stuck, uh, jumped out at you as well. Well, it did. It did. I had a, a bad night's sleep for no really apparent reason, apart from that I was catastrophizing about the house plumbing. Um, and at five o'clock this morning, I thought, this is silly. I could get up. I said, Office of Readings. And then I said, Morning Prayer. Um, and this was one of several texts that, that struck me. One of the others was the the, um, the stuff that uh, Paul is talking about uh, in his in that letter, the second letter to the Corinthians mm. that we're listening to. But then to have that as the concluding prayer, because I read Office of Readings and then Morning Prayer, it was really quite amazing. No trials. We We have to think quite rightly, of the, the, the perasmon, the, the, the trial itself, the great persecution, any persecutions we might have. But actually, we also ought to think of ourselves as the people who have simply those prayers that don't seem to be answered. We've got those silly things that aren't working, like the, the bathroom plug. <laughs> and so I read that one and then followed it with, with uh, the, the collect for today, St. John Mary Vianney, um, and the whole idea of a very, very, at one level, ordinary, but also absolutely extraordinary little priest in France mm. really, really sort of coincided with me. Not that I am a small little priest in France, but, but you know, the idea of, of all those things that must have been a trial to him, as well as these almost um, desert father-like temptations that he had and things. You know, we have these things about no trials and... Sometimes perhaps it is the trial of getting up and finding that, you know, you've got a flat tire or, or whatever. Those things are also there. It reminded me, actually, of that line of, of the story of, from uh, great St. Teresa, who um, is thrown off her donkey into a ditch. And Jesus says, well, that's how I treat my friends. And in typical Teresan way, she says, well, no wonder you don't have very many. 
Um, <laughs> I've heard so many versions of that story, <laughs> and that's a new one for me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there we are, strengthening our hearts the faith you have given us so that no trials may quench the fire, no trials going to the supermarket and forgetting your shopping bag, um, uh, losing your check card down the sofa. Yeah. All that kind of stuff is also part of what we're asking for help with. I think yeah. we might come back to that when we come to to the office because we're going to look at the Our Father, and um, I think we, you know, we we need to think of that in those contexts too. Yes, indeed. Yeah. But Tim, I gather you were in Walsingham this week. I was. In fact, Radio Maria has been broadcasting a lot from Walsingham this week because there has been the New Dawn conference. I'm yeah. not sure if if that's the right word for it. It's uh, maybe pilgrimage is the right word. I know that it was they, once called conference or festival. They used to be called conferences, didn't they? And then I think possibly when they switched to Walsingham, they they thought there was more of a pilgrimage to them. Yeah. Mm. And I think the the official name is New Dawn in the Church, which is ah. quite quite a lovely uh, title, and um, it's a very charismatic uh, oriented festival so you have a praise and worship band uh, so a very different kind of liturgy to what I usually hear um, and it took me although it, it has a, a, a lot of familiarity with for me with my kind of charismatic Protestant upbringing um, it took me a little while but not too long to kind of settle into it um, and uh and I must say, it was they did a really good job. It was the One Hope um, band, and very sensitive. Very, you could see a very uh, sincere love for the mass was coming out in the music that they were putting together. Even if it's it's not everyone's um, cup of tea, <laughs> but um, I yeah, I was really quite touched by that, and then also touched by a lot of the things that I heard from from various speakers. Uh, the one that sticks out in my mind now is a lady named Roz Powell. Um, and she was saying that it's time for us to bring out the riches of the Catholic Church. Um, and I thought that was a, a really wonderful thing to hear someone say, um, you know, somebody who who ministers across these lines of, of like the visible bounds of the Catholic Church in the in the charismatic movement and saying we have some very very uh, profound treasures that need to be um, to be brought out for for the for the fullness of the the church to enjoy or at least that's my yes. interpretation of it yeah. no I think you're quite right there's that line that we got from the gospel last Sunday about the therefore the um, uh, the, the the scribe who's trained for the kingdom brings out from their bring, brings mm. out from their treasure store new and old. Yeah, um, yeah, I I absolutely love that. Yeah, you know the, the idea that you might have to say um, of of something it's it's too old fashioned is not something that we should perhaps contemplate. We have to, have to ask what its historical significance was if it continues to have that significance. Um, and the same is true of new music. I think new music cannot be music for the sake of new music, but it can impart a, a very different feel to to the liturgy, can bring forward uh, texts that we didn't know or haven't mm. been represented well in the music before. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the, the charismatic renewal has a great deal to teach us. Um, I used to be part of a music band when there was a conference that used to happen in Ampleforth uh, under Abbot Ambrose when he was there. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were proud, profound experiences very often um, yeah. and life changing in some ways for me. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, so I, I went away. Um, I was hoping to have one of these profound uh, kind of in, uh, you know, sort of renewal in the spirit or baptism in the spirit. Uh, didn't didn't have quite that um, to my knowledge, although one can't always go by feelings per se. Um, but I did have a I did come away at peace and and um, and and encouraged and edified by by what I saw and um yeah, that line of John of the Cross of, of uh, spiritual experiences might be hidden even from the one who experiences them. I had not heard that, but that is really wonderful. Yeah. Um, and of course, it's the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us? That that sense of, oh, that's what that was about yeah. that comes around, comes around <laughs> later. That's so true. Right. Um, so Which we... leads us kind, kind of neatly on to Sunday's feast, if you it want. Does. It yeah. was, we very often describe these times of going away somewhere like Walsingham or like Ampleforth to to, to being uh, mountaintop experiences. And here we've got the Feast of the Transfiguration on, on Sunday, which I always look forward to. Um, partly because it was the founding, it's one of the founding feasts, the founding feast, I think, for Teze. Okay. And, uh, and therefore has a, a significance to me in terms of its musical choices, which I'm, I'm sure people are guessing um, I'm very fond of. But also of the liturgy itself and the way that they they tried very very hard, particularly in those days, to to represent um, the full glories of the monastic liturgy in um, a, a mixed uh, ecumenical community. So there was there was there's Teze. There's also the fact that this is conference season for music conferences and music workshops and goodness knows what else. So I'm, I'm very fond of it from that point of view. Mm. But the feast of the Transfiguration is one of those challenging things it's of course it's been held several in several places i mean the east um have kept it on this date possibly even as early as the fourth century which makes it one of the very very early feasts with a with a fixed date um uh, well of, 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 a, of, of a stated date i'm saying mm. fixed date and then thinking i'm getting east or wrong but i, I know what i'm talking about yeah. <laughs> um but of course it's also there in um uh, in uh lent as well because of its its themes of passion um I, I, I love it as a feast because of that. Apparently, it only touches the whole church, meaning it really only takes root in the West by the 15th century. And I wonder whether that's one reason why we don't have a great deal of music for it. Yes. I mean, I found this very interesting because I, I didn't know any of these things that you um, wanted to talk about today. Um, and I also found it interesting that, it, it you know, when I realized that the Feast of the Transfiguration was coming up on the Sunday, I found myself going, sorry, what? Um, because I do think of it as a as a Lenten, um, you know, Sunday rather than than having its own day. Uh, so that was very interesting. I'm I'm aware of the fact that we have we've been speaking for about 10 minutes and we haven't played any any music. So shall we play our first piece of music, which I think is so, such an interesting uh choice i was when i saw that you had chosen this i thought to myself wow um i did not see this coming i uh, think sufian stevens is a challenging uh, a challenging composer and poet um it's like shards of glass in a stained glass window that shine in different ways and doesn't necessarily even work grammatically but this is a, a good piece for us to to listen to his song on the transfiguration Lamb 
very interesting because he uses that melody at the end there in a different in another song if i remember oh i didn't know wow yeah yeah. um i know it so i i used to listen to i haven't listened to servant stevens in years and um so this is why it's really interesting for me to to have this kind of in in the mix today but uh yeah that that i I first met him uh, with the, with the amazingly well placed uh, song at the end of "Call Me by Your Name," where Timothy Chalamet literally just cries his out, uh, eyes out on a, a fixed camera in in the most astonishing way, and um, his his music comes in, and it's always these shards of words and images that come together, which I think makes him quite astonishingly um, innovative. Yeah, a, I don't even know. That's a film. Obviously, I, I haven't seen it. I don't know it. Um, I know that he's a favorite for these kind of indie style uh, films. And um, I used to listen to him about 15 years ago, but I haven't really. I didn't even know he'd been going that long. That that, that shows shows my the depth of my ignorance on modern music, I think, rather than anything else. That's funny because I feel like you're far more current than I am bringing <laughs> this kind of stuff into the mix. Um yeah, but did you want to say something about the lyrics? Uh, just I, I, I put on I put in our notes that that what happens the bit that we just sort of cut out on then starts looping. So you get this lost in a cloud of voice, Lamb of God, we draw near. Without fear, we draw near, and it, it's it's almost like it has a kind of. Um, a mantra, a Sufic response all the way through, which means that it changes ever so slightly each time and you mm-hmm. just have to listen to it, but it's a repetitive, uh, meditative piece. I, I just think it's a it's a very clever piece. It's challenging. The last time we, we were looking at the uh, uh, Transfiguration, of course, we had Messiaen, and he was challenging mm-hmm. as well, I thought, but, but we've got a different kind of challenge going on here, yeah. which is largely to do with the lyrics, I think, largely to do with the words. So a quick note on on the feast and and something that I find incredibly significant about this and something that I hadn't actually thought about un, until recent years. And that's that um, the way that Peter refers to it in his letter um, when he's talking about the, how we can be sure of the uh, revelation that they have received. And yeah. he then says, you know, because we we were there, we saw him on the holy mountain um, and and how it puts Christ at the center of of what um, the revelation, what divine revelation truly means. Um, and this is a, quite a revelation to me uh, personally, who had always seen the written word as the sort of primacy of what what uh, what true revelation is. Um, or, or the exhaustive um, uh, uh, it that it is exhaustive of what revelation is, um, whereas for the disciples it was Christ, um, and and Peter refers specifically to the transfiguration as um, as that kind of witness to the fullness of of God's divine revelation. Um, I think I think it's Bultmann. Is it Bultmann who who refers to, um, if you like, the shift in Christology from the the, the Christ the proclaimer mm-hmm. to Christ the proclaimed, 
And I think he probably puts that, as a lot of more modern theologians would, within the first century of Christianity. But that line from the from the second letter of St. Peter um, does say to me, this wasn't, it says, I've got it in front of me now, it was not a cleverly, uh, um, a cleverly invented myth. Yep. This was nothing that we were doing that we made up. Mm. This wasn't something that somebody did simply to entertain or to make money or anything like that. It was what we saw. And in other words, Christ, the proclaimed Christ, is the same as Christ the Proclaimer because of a feast like the Transfiguration. Mm, that, oh, that's lovely. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, it's entirely nicked off other theologians, so don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't thank me for that. <laughs> well, you brought, it, you brought it to the fore. Um, if I thought I just dived, you might have seen me dis- disappear off my, off my table. I did uh, try and look, but I haven't got time. I should have looked for the, for the Greek there to see what these eyewitnesses actually are in the Greek. Never mind. Um, mm. We'll come back to it perhaps the next time the Transfiguration comes around. Yes. Should we hear some music from the feast? Yes. The Alleluia today, I think, is a is a is a is an interesting piece for, for, from itself. Um, this is the Alleluia Candor Est, and um, is very it's a very lovely piece. And I think we've got a good a good setting of it here. But it, uh, as well as it being called um, the Alleluia for this feast, and obviously therefore. Um, it can't be used on the Sunday in Lent because it's got the Alleluia word in it. It does, however, appear in other places. It's in the common for martyrs outside uh, outside Easter time. Um, this Alleluia has different texts set to it. Um, we've got it here. We've got it in other places too. Um, you can follow it through the gradual because it's got little notes as to where else this tune appears. But let's listen to this one. Uh, the Alleluia Candor Es Lucis Eterne. Um, it's a beautiful piece. The brightness of eternal light, a mirror without spot and an image of his goodness. It's a text from the Book of Wisdom. Cantors and Elizabeth C. Patterson. And yeah, I like the title. I mean, the, the title of the album intrigued me. Um, it's called Chance of the Transfiguration, and there they are. This is this is the music for this feast. It it struck me that perhaps in their marketing they had decided to go for something overtly spiritual, and I wonder whether that was partly because of the the um the rise in popularity of chant which i know shocked some monastic choirs that people were listening to it sort of with a with a glass of wine in their hand when they got home from work um and here they've gone specifically for here is a feast here are the messages from it i, I think it's, it's worth people digging it out actually because it is a beautiful piece yeah it is very nice and um i'm sure you have come across this in the same way but this same line from the book of wisdom i know it as a um an antiphon to our lady lots of the stuff from the book of wisdom i hadn't actually figured that out but yes you're right lots of the book of wisdom uh, does do that and um 
I think it's it's dangerous to say it's about Our Lady, but I think it's perfectly usable yeah. as as texts that refer to refer to her. And of course, wisdom is one of those things that does have a feminine aspect in Hebrew. Um, it has a lot more going for it like that. I've heard people also say that it um, there are bits that are overtly to do with the Holy Spirit. And again, you know, we might ponder how we refer to the Holy Spirit. I, mm-hmm. It, in English, always seems quite oh, yeah. denigrating, doesn't no, it? No, right? that irks me, I must say. And I, I, I think I'm right in saying that you can translate he from the Latin as it. So um, it's it's like possibly a poor translation at times. They just don't work the same way, do they? Ille yeah. and, and it just don't have the same resonances. Yeah. And and of course, putting it illa means that you are doing, dealing with something much more specific. And if it's sapientia, if it's wisdom like that, then you are going to have illa as well. But that's that gets into really complex issues. And I know we're going to think about translation in a bit, but yeah. we're into very, very difficult ones when we start thinking about how we translate the genders of nouns that have their own gender into um, gendering God. Um, John John Paul II had some very interesting, and not as conservative as as people might have thought, lines on how we might might think about this. Mm -hmm. But it is a very, very complex field because we're translating from languages which do have their own genders for important theological truths into languages where we have lost that yeah. and and that becomes very 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 complicated again people were saying to me last week because of the uh, instruction on the psalms that we'll come on to um was saying um why do we still have omines translated as as man well we don't have another word in english you'd mm-hmm. have to find a periphrasis for it and you know that's a another another issue but of yeah. course gender comes up again in this in um, in this album, because we've heard women singing there for the Alleluia Candor Est, the um, the next piece I'd like us to play is the communion antiphon, Tell No One About the Vision You Have Seen Until the Son of Man Rises from the Dead. This is the, the men from uh, this same uh, musical group singing the communion Visionem Quam Vidistis. Um, a nice, a very short piece. We have to keep ourselves on our toes for it because it's sneeze and it's gone. Um, but it is a, a, a lovely little piece. It's almost as if I, I I do wonder with some of these very short communion antiphons whether they actually had other uses as well. It's it struck me that that's the kind of antiphon you might hear as a magnificat antiphon for the feast. Yeah, and and you know these things must have had a repertoire use, um, especially in the more fluid early days of chant being written down. But that one strikes me as one that could have been just as easily a magnificat antiphon. Yeah. Well, the the, the text that. You know, for the previous one that you mentioned um, is, I've sung it as a, uh, I think it was a terse antiphon. Um, right. We used it for at Mount St. Bernard Abbey um, to Our Lady. So it was, um, she is the radiance of eternal light, the spotless mirror of God's power. 
and image of his goodness. Um, and then the second one that you've just done, tell yeah. no one the vision until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Possibly it was also a Terce Antiphon, and I think it was, I mean, it, it, it was obviously for the Feast of the Transfiguration. Um, yeah. they're, they're lovely, and I, I do think that the, one of the things that I do like about the the new breviary is the way that it does uh, draw the readings from the mass, the themes from the day, and the uh, and the office all together. It, it sort of does a, a very clever sewing together of them. Mm-hmm. But of course, it's also there in the in the in the old breviary too. Um, if you heard me turning the pages, then that was because I do ha- happen to have one single volume of this Cistercian breviary from the from before the reform, yeah. um, but I couldn't find it in time. So never mind. That's that's the second one that I've been wrong footed by today. Never mind. Never mind. So that again was the Gloria Dei Cantores, and let's move on from the sixth to Tuesday. I mean, yes. Tuesday is interesting. The Feast of St. Dominic, I found out, or at least I re- remembered and then then checked just in case I'd got it wrong. Um, the Feast of St. Dominic used to be on the 4th of August, um, so would be today. Um, today, of course, we see uh, not not the uh, the Feast of St. Dominic, but the Feast of the Curé of Ars himself, um, Jean-Marie Vianney. And um, here we've got uh, the 8th of August and the Feast of St. Dominic. And surprise, surprise, there's a sequence, so I really couldn't resist putting yeah. it in. Um, <laughs> we won't hear all of it. It goes on. Goes on. No, that's it. Has a, it has a, a long playing time, but the the uh, the text that we're listening to is now new canticles ascending and new strains harmonious blending mid the hierarchies of heaven. In fact, in celesti hierarchia is what we're going to hear. With our earthly choirs, according join this festival in lauding to our holy father given. Not perhaps the best translation ever, but at least you get a sense of the text. So here at least are a few verses of In Celeste Hierarchia from the album Gaudiamus. So we have a great feast for the uh, the Dominicans. So happy feast to to mm. Cambridge, and uh, I will uh, wave at wave at the Oxford bunch in, in due course. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. So that you say that's been moved to the eighth of August. Uh, yes, I I can't remember the circumstances. I have a vague feeling it's because it, there was a clash on the day before with a feast that had before the before the liturgical changes um, meant that you didn't weren't able to give Saint Dominic the the solemnity that he needed. So they moved him somewhere that there was a, a time to have a first vespers beforehand as well. Right. Um, okay. But, yeah. But I think there's, there might also be something to do with uh, the translation of his relics, which is an entirely different time of the year, and you know, which takes precedence and all that kind of stuff, which is always you know, complicated complicated to, to work out. I'm always glad I never have to do any of that kind of in, in-depth in thinking. Mm. Yes, but of course, we've also got St. Lawrence this week, um, uh, deacon and champion of the poor. Um, a man apparently 
so used to, if you like, the acerbic comic response that he is a um, he's patron saint of comedians. I did not know that. He's patron saint of cooks. And you yes. said, can I put in my comment? But it might be a bit irreverent. <laughs> I think Lawrence knew this comment, knew the joke. Go for it. Tell us. Um, well, he's he, the one about him saying, turn me over. I'm done on this side. Turn is me that... over. I'm done on this side, which is an appalling thing to say, unless you are the person that is being barbecued. Yeah, I think that that, that certainly does uh, warrant him being the the patron saint of comedians. Um, is he also the one who said, uh, who brought the riches of the church being the, the poor? That's, uh, that's that's the other one. Yeah. You know, can you not imagine? You think you're going to, you know, the church is beginning to grow in power. It's beginning to grow in wealth. It has all sorts of things going for it. And the um, uh, the um, the prefect says to, to Lawrence, you're in charge of the church's money. Uh, I want to see it. His first response is, well, I'm, I'm a decent accountant. You're going to have to give me a little bit of time to get my books in order. So he's therefore also the patron saint of archivists. Wow. Um, <laughs> Uh, he gets around, but then he turns around and says, "Yes, I brought you the I brought you the treasures of the church. Here they are." And produces a pile of poor people, yeah. and that is again a Serbic comedy. Yeah, of, no, there's, of, there's of humor the there, kind. definitely. Yeah, that's there is, isn't there? Um, yeah. Gosh, and and it cost him his life. So I can, you can almost say like you could almost say he's a martyr to to his sense of humor. Martyr to his sense of humor, but of course. Sixtus and the other deacons, Sixtus as Bishop of Rome and the other deacons had already gone. He he l laments at one point to Sixtus mm. in one of the versions of his life that he he's not going with him. He says, when have you attended the holy sacrifice without a deacon? Mm. And uh, the uh, you know, again, those that are in the, the um, uh, either the transitional, but more particularly the, the permanent diaconate should see this as an absolute uh, confirmation of, of the um the importance of the uh, of the role of deacon in mm. um, uh, in the life of the early church. Why would you say you know why celebrate the sacrifice? Meaning Sixtus's own sacrifice of going to his death without your deacon. Oh wow, that is interesting. Yes, and uh, that's one of those goose pimple moments, I think. Yeah. But again, it's all about wordplay. It's all about significance of incongruities. Uh, th mm -hmm. This is a this is a man who I suspect um, Eddie Izzard would have got on well with. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's that. There is that sense of you know firing on all cylinders for the wit, which I think is is um. It seems uh, to me to be a maybe okay. Well, maybe we could um, we could commit Eddie Izzard to the prayers of of Saint Lawrence. Um, that would be quite a conversion. I think that would be something that yeah, Lawrence would be aware of the the humour even in heaven, and I think that's a, that's a lovely thing for us to do. All right. Anyway, yes. Um, he also, of course, because he becomes the the third patron of Rome, um, because of his his position, um, is is one of those inspirations for some fantastic music. And yeah. uh, let's listen to uh, Palestrina's Motet Beatus Laurentius. Blessed Lawrence prayed, "I give you thanks, O Lord, because I was worthy to enter your gates." Mm.
The text of that piece is absolutely beautiful. I was it really struck me just reading it before um we played it and yeah, it's it's uh, that idea of being allowed to enter into the gates reminding me of of what our Lord said about enter by the narrow gate. Um Yes. I also wondered whether there was a liturgical um uh mention there that in fact the the uh, i was allowed to enter your gates is so is i remember cardinal heenan um reminiscing when he first commissioned extraordinary ministers saying that sense when he was a deacon of being able to stand at the altar like that i wonder whether this lawrence is thinking of something similar here of being allowed being worthy to enter your gates in both senses enter the gates of heaven yeah. through through his martyrdom but also the idea of being allowed to officiate um, so closely in the sacred mysteries yeah. i don't know it's just my you know my, my thoughts on that shall we move on yes. um I, I could uh, we could go on about saint lawrence for quite some time because i think he's absolutely marvelous um but let's think about the psalms mm-hmm. The news last week, and I'm reading this from my own adaptation of the statement from the uh, Bishops' uh, Conference of England and Wales. But the news last week was that the Vatican, and more precisely the Dicastery for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments, has confirmed the approval by the Bishops' Conference of England and Wales for the new lectionary based on the lectionary already in use in India and using a revised Psalter from Conception Abbey in Missouri. It aims to ensure that the Word of God reaches God's holy people without alloy, avoiding paraphrase while maintaining the poetry and rhythm of the Psalter. It's always the problem, isn't it, when you're introducing something that is a new or you hope is an improvement, that it sounds like you're doing down what went before. And I think they've tried very hard not to do that. But um, 2008 did bring us this revision of the text um, from Conception Abbey in the United States. It sought to bring the latest scholarly understanding of the text and review the text where the English was essentially a paraphrase of the Hebrew. As someone who has done a bit of translating, although my Hebrew would never get anywhere that was published because I was so abysmal at it, um, there is a sense here that, well, surely all translation is to a certain extent paraphrase. But I, I can see what they're going on, yeah. on with. It has been approved by the United States Conference for the Catholic Bishops and is now owned by the, uh, by, by the United States Conference of, of Catholic Bishops and have renamed it Abbey Psalms and Canticles, both in recognition of the work of, of uh, Conception Abbey, but also so that there was clarity about the edition being used. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have already referred to it to me as, oh, it's the Grail Psalms, but as I think we ought to hear... Um, it's not quite the Grail Psalms, and that is going to present us with some work to do. Yeah, a lot of work to do. I think people a do lot. not realise just how much work is ahead of us. Um, well, I suspect Radio Maria England can can help with some of that, <laughs> and I certainly would like us to be able to if, if, if we can at some point. But let's listen to a line-by-line uh, comparison of uh, the responsorial psalm for the Feast of the Transfiguration. If you want to start off with the line as it stands at the moment, which is the uh, approved translation in uh, the, uh, this, the, C, the big CTS uh, missile, and with, which has its lectionary with it, and then I'll follow with what uh, should be in the in the new okay. uh, in the new translation. All right. So a line by line. Here we go. Yeah. The Lord is King, most high above all earth. The earth. The Lord reigns most high over all the earth. The Lord is King. Let earth rejoice. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. 
Let all coastlands be glad. Let the many islands be glad. Cloud and darkness are his raiment. Cloud and thick darkness are, are it says young about him, but I think that might be, might be wrong, but never mind. Go on. His throne, <laughs> justice and right. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The Lord is king most high above all the earth. The Lord reigns most, the most high over all the earth. The mountains melt like wax. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Sorry, I should have said the whole line. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord of all the earth. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The skies proclaim his justice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. All peoples see his glory. And all the peoples behold his glory. The Lord is king most high above all the earth. The Lord reigns the most high over all the earth. So as we can see, it's quite a different translation. Um, uh, and it is going to present us with work to do. The thing that won't matter if, if you followed when we, in our early days when I was singing responsorial psalms every week, in fact, because there are so many syllables that would just go on a reciting note, it's not going to make that much difference to a cantor. What is going to make a difference is the uh, responses. Mm -hmm. And it might be that we want to revisit the method that I proposed before, which is that the the chant itself uh, for the response will simply follow the same kind of line um, that, that that we've done before. I think we should experiment with them uh, over the next few weeks and see mm. what we see what we make of it. I know music is already being prepared by various writers and publishers. I do know also that the uh, um, Cardinal uh, Archbishop Emeritus George Stack from Cardiff. Um, does say parishes and other communities will engage in preparation for the liturgy, so for the uh, for the lectionary, so that all the faithful will hear the word word of God with deepened faith and understanding. The office will also be up for changing, which hmm. um, will be interesting for those of us that tend to say a lot of it by memory. We will have to come back to it. Perhaps that's not a bad thing. I don't know. I do know that St. Dominic was praised for being able to say the Psalter without, with, um, with, without the book in front of him. But maybe it is time to say maybe it's getting a bit threadbare. Mm. There's music already being prepared and we'll try and share some of it over the coming months, I suppose, is the way we go. We were aware of this change coming when I was at Mount St. Bernard Abbey and I was quite uh, sort of I maybe naively excited about it because I just thought it was an opportunity to to bring in some new music. And I made a suggestion that we, because um, we had one psalm uh, every morning at vigils that was recited, I said, why don't we use the new translation um because we had a copy of of this translation quite early oh, from, right. yeah, yeah. from Conception Abbey, um, and just for that one recited psalm, which was always recited by one monk, um, or one or two monks, uh, yeah. let's let's use the new translation. And it was so interesting to see how how one's um, eyes read one thing and one's tongue says another because you are so used to the even even you know me having not been there for for that long you know the, you get so used to the the translation that um it's very hard to change and it's it's the more it's the more subtle changes that are more difficult. Like if I read the King James version or the RSV, yeah. the Psalms are fine. I can usually read them without making mistakes because they are quite different to the Grail yes. Psalms. Um, but it's the subtle changes that are actually far more difficult to 
to institutes? I think we also have to be aware of a very hard line um, uh, to, towards the end of the statement from, the, from the, uh, com- the, the bishop's conference. It is normal practice in the Roman Rite that there is only one single edition of a liturgical text in use in a particular territory. So in the same way as only the third edition of the Roman Missal 2010 may be used in the celebration of Mass in the ordinary form, the same will be true of the lectionary. We're not going to have an option here. Mm. This is something we're going to have to go for. And presumably the same will be true when, they, when uh, the, the uh, office comes out. Um, yeah. But we'll think about that and we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yes. Let's, let's move on to the office then. Um, okay. Well, I think we are a little short of time to do another piece of the Bach Magnificat, which is a bit of a shame. <laughs> we'll have to bring Would it you prefer that time. and we'll go on to the Our Fathers next week? It's up to you, Tim. Uh, yes, I think let's do that because okay. we need our, our good breakfast. Um, Lovely. Good let's have breakfast. our Bach breakfast then of um, the Gloria. We heard the Monteverdi 1610 Vespers uh, Gloria. I I really wanted us also to hear the Gloria from the Bach Cat, and it is a wonderful piece of music. All right, here it is. I think that was definitely the right choice we made there. Wasn't it just? That was the Netherlands Bach Society again. Um, they are, I've, I've checked them out, they are intending to present the whole corpus, the <sighs> massive corpus of the of the works of Johann Sebastian Bach. Good luck to them, but I shall be following it with, with eager ears. I mean, can Time one... Time yeah, 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 can one do that within within a lifetime? Or is that like a, a project that's just going to stretch over, um, you know, generations? I, there must be. Uh, he wrote it within a lifetime, but I can't imagine that we could get choirs together and uh, instrumentalists together and and organ players. I, I can't imagine that it's something that we can, it could be done in a, in a number of a short number of years. Yeah, it'll certainly outlast me. Because yeah. um, I feel like he's one of those one of those artists. You know, they say that. Um, if you were to sit down and just transcribe Shakespeare, you would you would not be able to do it. Um, I mean, it sounds maybe a little bit like one of these urban legends, but you couldn't do it within a lifetime. Um, and then, yeah, anyways, I'm I'm not going to go on to that now. That's <laughs> People are probably rolling their eyes and they're like, what on earth are you saying, Tim? Um, let's, let's leave that for now. The output is tremendous and how they're going to manage it because they will need, as they're recording, they're going to need um, places to do it from properly. You and I know you know, the, the difficulty with acoustics. You couldn't just do it in somebody's back bedroom. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, a lot to think about to get this together. And yeah. good luck to them because yeah. it's a magnificent project. All right. So we'll talk about the Our Father in next week's episode, which you can hear um, at the same time next week. And all these episodes are also available as podcasts. Um, Before we say our goodbyes, we have one last piece that we'd like to play. Nick, tell us a little bit about this. Okay. well, we often finish with an anthem to Our Lady. But since this week sees St. Dominic's Day, um, I thought that we might finish with the Dominican chant, O Lumen Ecclesiae, O Light of the Church, Teacher of Truth, Rose of Patience, Ivory of Chastity. Mm -hmm. You freely poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Um, 
it can be sung at the end of Compline, which is my feeble excuse for doing it otherwise, but I do think it's a beautiful piece. And very often, I don't think it's, it's heard much outside Dominican churches. So here is the O Lumen Ecclesiae. And thank you so much for listening to the Liturgical Looking Glass. It's always such a pleasure to be able to present this program um, with you, Nick Swarbrick. And um, <laughs> and you, Tim Hutchinson, yes. <laughs> and we shall um, see you again, or, or uh, you shall hear from us again next week. Um, thank you very much, and have a wonderful week. Have a good weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. God bless. This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.